episode 85 of the movie brats podcast also known as the barbenheimer episode <laughs> i am carter and joining me as always is jonathan jonathan how are you doing this uh grand movie weekend we've just taken a part of i had a great time experiencing barbenheimer i think before we even review the individual films we have to in case there's someone 50 years in the future listening to this and they don't know what barbenheimer is like we have to set the stage for no this what is going to be leading american even. history textbooks about the, the early 2020s <laughs> right so it refers to the film barbie directed by and co-written by greta gerwig and christopher nolan's film oppenheimer uh and they both came out on july 21st Mm-hmm. And it's like, I feel like Christopher Nolan, I mean, part of the backstory is that Nolan had made films for years at Warner Brothers, and yes. he was kind of irritated, I think, by how the uh, release of Tenet was done. I mean, it was the pandemic, it was 2020, and it's, you know, there was just certain realities, but he was not happy with how Warner Brothers, basically for the whole slate of a year, were doing day and date, not his movie, but they had all the other Warner Brothers major releases. They released them on what was then called HBO Max, now called Max. Uh, <laughs> and he's very much like old school. He shoots on film. He doesn't use a lot of CGI. He uh, loves people to see a movie in the theater in IMAX, the best possible theatrical experience uh and i think he was quite irritated with warner brothers stance so he hopped over to universal but then barbie is a warner brothers film so it was like nolan's old haunt versus uh you know universal and neither of them budged i thought that at a certain point one of them was going to move their release date i thought that was going to happen yeah because then you had Uh, the mission impossible film opening the week before and there were isn't right. even talk about that one maybe moving its date because they didn't get enough IMAX screens like they wanted because uh, it was taken of by Oppenheimer, right? And so they both of them came out, and there have certainly been interesting two films that have come out on the same day. I mean, people have brought up the fact that another Christopher Nolan film uh, with a perceived like kind of female centric film uh we had the dark knight and mama mia both come out 15 years ago on the same day i remember we are double feature i went to 15 years ago was wally and wanted i saw (laughs) both of them with my mom opening day uh w films one word uh but uh there's never been quite this cultural zeitgeist thing this event of combining these two films that are so radically different uh you know there's at least on the, the male, surface the female <laughs> i know there's there's all these kind of weird connections like they're both have like people there's a bunch of horses in both of them <laughs> uh but we can but uh why don't we talk about our experience of just seeing the movies and the, our excitement leading up to them and like how we actually went in the theater to see them i mean you, yeah you go 
Yes, I mean, this, I guess, there was an awareness from the end of last year, I think, that they were going to be released on the same day, if I'm not mistaken. But I can't remember people necessarily on the internet talking about making it a double feature until sometime in the late spring or early summer. Um, And so sort of from that point on, I basically like convinced myself that I need to see them back to back or at least as close in time as possible. Um, So I bought my ticket for Oppenheimer, I think two weeks before uh, it came out. uh, So July 7th or something like that. I got my ticket for Oppenheimer Uh, IMAX, obviously, because that's the way Christopher Nolan wanted us to do it. Um, And then like a week after that, I was either planning on seeing Barbie before or after and circumstances sort of dictated that I would need to see it before. So I wanted to see Oppenheimer first, Barbie second, but I was almost outside of my control that I needed to flip it around. And um, and <laughs> I think either way you would have done it, the sort of films would have spoken to each other in a different sort of way. But um, I'm kind of glad I did it the way I did it, um, simply because the end of Oppenheimer is like so heavy that it would have been a little strange to go right into something else immediately after. Um, but yeah, so I was like, you know, really set on seeing it the same day. I uh, saw them at the same theater, basically like one theater next to the, the other and timed it out. So um, it basically Could started you hear right away. No, 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 you couldn't. Because um, I think the first Oppenheimer, I was at the first Oppenheimer Showtime. So maybe for Showtimes after that, I have like seen footage on the internet of it being a scene in Barbie and like suddenly you get these really, really loud noises coming from the theater next door. Um, the Trinity test. Yeah, exactly. I'd be curious to see when in Barbie it would show up because sometimes it'd be more interesting than others. Um, but yeah, so the the showing I went to of Barbie was actually like a lot of like high school kids and a couple like really younger kids like uh, with their parents, like really young. So very different sort of I would not than Oppenheimer anyone. in the crowd. <laughs> yeah, I, I would not recommend like anyone like un, like sing uh, single digits to go to Barbie necessarily. Yeah, not that it's like really like incur like not that it's like super raunchy or anything. But I, I think that a lot of the humor would just go over their head. They would be entertained yes. by the color and some of the humor, but it really is kind. Of, it is a PG thirteen film. Yes, yes. I um, mean, it's it's not necessarily for really young kids. I mean, but I think, right. yeah, sort of like high school, middle school, maybe like late elementary schools, maybe a better demographic than like a five-year-old or something like that. Because the humor is, I mean, it's, it's pretty adult and some of the references they make are like very, like sort of highfalutin references. Um, the last but, line of the film is great. And yeah, that's kind of- Yeah, a, yeah. yeah it's one it kids might not necessarily understand. Um, and then Oppenheimer, well, can I, can, much more adult yeah, crowd. Well, but yeah, you can go on yours. <laughs> oh yeah, well, I was gonna say I uh, did Barbie first, but I did them on different days. I uh, I live in Greenville, South Carolina, and there are actually only nineteen theaters in the whole country showing Oppenheimer in IMAX and seventy millimeter together mm-hmm. on the same screen. And one of them is the Mall of Georgia in Buford, which is about an hour and forty five minutes from me. So I made I planned on making the trek. Uh, over there so what i did was i saw barbie on thursday afternoon the very first showtime 310 and i have to say really the reason that they have those it's it's kind of heavy 
But the reason that movies aren't like at 11.59 p.m. or actually midnight, m- making it technically Friday, is because of The Dark Knight the Rises, Dark Knight Rises, another Christian yeah. Nolan film. There was the shooting. Because, I mean, it's kind of ridiculous to me. It's like if a movie is playing at 3.10 and 4.10, it, it like opens Thursday then. Yeah, like, basically, I mean, yeah. It's kind of, <laughs> yeah. Um, however, I went on Thursday in Greenville, my uh, closest multiplex, and I would say nine out of ten people in the screening were women. Yeah, and uh, the and in and many people were wearing pink. Yes, that's that was true thing. of the one and I went to as I, well. Yeah, right. And like and large to groups mall, going together, also. Like oh yeah. And when I went to the mall at Georgia, uh, I saw people just out and about around the theater and in the mall wearing pink. And it was really funny seeing like 16, 17, late teens, early 20s, like guys wearing like hot pink shorts and (laughs) like sweaters, Uh, you know, a bunch of women, too. But there was just like uh, a sea of pink. Um, And then the thing that was really fun at the screening of Oppenheimer, there were a few people with a shirt that said Barbenheimer. Uh, I, I sent a picture to you of uh, one of them. I put it on my social media. It was just so funny because there's like one that was like half the shirt was pink and half of it was brown. Another person had the word Barbenheimer in the font of the Barbie poster, but it had a mushroom cloud in the background and said <laughs> Barbenheimer. And so it just felt like really like an event i mean partially for me it was going you know out of state to go to like a big theater like at a park and go into the mall and get to my seat i i sat in the second row pretty much smack in the middle and it really wasn't crazy close there's some theaters if you sit in the first or second row like it's like really uncomfortable and it's like ridiculous how close the seats are but uh it was just a gorgeous you know brand new basically i mean it'd been screened like maybe three or four times print of oppenheimer and 70 millimeter and it was just like an exquisite you know screening uh i mean outside of what we thought of the movies i just had a really good time with the audience they were behaved oh yeah uh, they i mean really yeah me too want to be there and uh i think there was there was a little delay at the start of mine and i think it had to do with it being the first screening that they were doing with the IMAX print because I've seen some like uh footage of people setting up the you know the IMAX for playback and stuff like that it, it seems like it's kind of a bitch so uh, I sort of well while it was that was yours was thinking, a... no you can ask yeah well was yours a film print or was it a digital IMAX I'm pretty sure it was film IMAX I mean that's that's at least how it looked to me um so, yeah, I think I had a bit of a delay in my theater because they were sort of figuring out <laughs> exactly how to do it because maybe they'd done like a test run, but this was like the first real showing. So um, there was a little bit well, of growing thing... impatience in my theater as the wait continued on and on. And it was just total silence except for people talking. And I was like, what are they, when are we going to get this thing started? I was a little scared for a little that it wasn't actually going to end up start playing. But when it did, it was well, like so loud. It... Everyone snapped oh, yeah. well, attention. I mean... One thing that I got there uh, extra early to the theater because they said like from the official IMAX social media accounts that uh, 70 millimeter IMAX screenings of Oppenheimer will have no previews because oh, yeah. the film reel 
is 11 miles long and they literally don't have room to put trailers on the film print uh but mine started like 12 minutes later than the scheduled show time yeah because, mine was the I same mean, there was like it was like five three minutes till the tra- like the show time and like like only a third of the theater was full and it was sold out so yeah. like i think they were like waiting for people to get their goodies and their drinks <laughs> That was something that happened with both screenings for me was people coming into the movie late. And I don't know if it's like, you know, people haven't been going to theaters for a little while and sort of forgot how early you need to show up if you want to get snacks or something like that. But not to say either one was like an issue, like, you know, you can still sort of say plugged into the movie. But I think for a lot of people, this this kind of was their first time back and maybe even since the pandemic or something like that. So or certainly one of their first times yeah. if not there but yeah so i yeah, thought I that was that... noticeable much more than like most movies i go to people showing up late and, and getting in their seats late and stuff like that yeah i um when i when i saw barbie i actually saw the movie joyride uh on wednesday because it was leaving and both joyride and barbie it was almost a full 10 minutes before the actual trailer started. I really get irritated mm-hmm. when you have to sit through five, six, seven minutes, getting close to 10 minutes of like car ads. And <laughs> I'm Marina Mnuchin and like uh-huh. she's doing stupid trivia stuff. It's like, okay, do that stuff. But the, the schedule showtime, the trailer should at least start. Yeah, exactly. uh, but at least with Barbie, there was like two trailers in the movie started out. So it was still like 15 minutes after the showtime but there weren't like and then 15 minutes of trailers after nearly 10 minutes of ads it was like the movie started like 15 minutes after the yeah. showtime when usually sometimes it gets to be 20 25 minutes yes uh but yeah i had a really good time seeing uh you know both films so should we do we want to say anything else about the uh the i guess preamble to the theater I guess just the other thing of note is just how successful both of them really ended up being at the box office. I think it was the fourth highest weekend in history of box office total gross. Barbie was, I think, 150 and Oppenheimer was something like 90 domestic and both overseas. Both of them were well over 100 million. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that kind of success shows people wanted to see, especially Oppenheimer. It's not like I'm super shocked because it's Christopher Nolan, but it's a very heavy serious biopic the fact it's it's made as much as yeah three hours (laughs) it's three hours it's r-rated it's you know set in the mid-century it's about a scientist i mean yeah christopher nolan i think was a huge part of that and you know the cast to some degree but uh yeah i mean i i read that there was a certain percentage to the box office for oppenheimer of people going to see that because Barbie was sold out at their theater. <laughs> oh, really? Like, 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 like a couple of like a number of million dollars, uh, box office. But yeah, it's it's kind of I think they both kind of fed each other in a way. Like I think that there's plenty of people that only saw one film. Yeah. But I think that there were people that, um, even if they were going to go see the movies both or had interest in them, like they they kind of got into the thing of like we're gonna see both at least opening weekend if not on the same day yeah uh it became a thing of you know well i gotta see them you know real soon i i I, it's it's like a thing i gotta be a part of the cultural conversation and i mean the cultural i mean the cultural moment like is exactly what this is in a way i don't think we've really had for i don't know since like late game of thrones maybe something like that but even this feels bigger than that ever was 
Um, but yeah, Barbie was, I think was the biggest opening ever for like a non-franchise movie or sequel or something like that. Well, um, and also the uh, the highest grossing uh, opening weekend for a film directed by a woman. And yes. that includes like some of those animated films that have like a man and a woman directing it together, like Frozen mm -hmm. or. Uh, yeah. And it, it's it's interesting that, um, you know, yes, Barbie is based on a doll and it's, you know, connected to a big American corporation. And yes, Oppenheimer is based on a book. It's based on real history but they're both you know quote unquote original movies in the sense they're not remakes or sequels or part of a franchise and it's also really awesome that uh two original movies uh did ex exceedingly well like i saw one headline especially about oppenheimer that it shattered box office expectations predictions yeah i think barbie was for um, people sort of knew i mean I don't know how I never expected it to be quite as successful as it was, but I think the estimation for that was like a hundred, 120. So it beat expectations, but Oppenheimer I was seeing uh, the week before had really low expectations for a Christopher Nolan movie, like 40 or 50 million. And it like blew that away. It was almost a hundred yeah, million. It nearly doubled it. Yeah. 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 And it's also, I think um, it's just, it's just interesting that in the press, how both uh, the casts, and directors were kind of, you know, they they're going along with the bit about yeah. like they were, you know, like there's, you know, talk about would Killian Murphy play a Ken and Barbie in a too Barbie sequel <laughs> and and uh like and Tom Cruise is like I besides the crazy Scientology stuff I just like him more and more every year yeah. I mean he just is like the grand ambassador of cinema and you know he was telling people you know he posed with tickets to his film barbie and oppenheimer with the director of the mission impossible film and it's like you know it, it was a thing that the like i think i like i said that both barbie and oppenheimer like there are people that wouldn't necessarily have seen both movies but did to be part of the the yeah the, the moment yeah it's amazing i mean i wish this sort of thing happened more often because well, and the thing that's so depressing, I saw someone on Twitter write that it's like, yes, everyone's so excited to see these two films. And then the writers and actors strike and like, and then there's no more movies dressed here, <laughs> which isn't true. But yeah, it's uh, there are there are already a few movies that have uh, either uh, canceled their previous release date or have pushed it. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, I mean, number one, the writers and actors get what they want in the strike and that a, a deal has come to, but also just, I want to see the movies and I hope that there aren't a bunch of movies that get postponed till the very end of the year or even next year. That's what I hope doesn't happen. So it just seems like the studio should see how incredibly well these two non-franchise sequel remake movies have done and like give the actors and writers what they want and like come to a re reasonable you know coming together so they can get movies out and have you know events like this happen in the future yeah i mean the the power of of going to the movies has really been shown this weekend in a way that it hasn't for a long long time except for like it seems like only marvel movies or star wars or something like that has attracted real audience attention and even that sort of buzz all, always felt sort of art artificial and um like and fan bases you know, trying to pump up their own movie 
um, because right. they wanted to make more than the other movie, which I always thought was disingenuous and a little like, strange. Maybe it's because there's a lot of those franchise movies that don't interest me and I don't even see a number of them. But yeah. like, I remember like the movie Jurassic World, which is like not a terrible movie, but it's just like not very good. And it's just like so nothing. It's and, like the highest like, grossing movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, it made like at, at least a billion dollars worldwide. But it's like, how many people like actually really liked that movie and were like excited? Like, Not it just many. seems like a lot. Those like the, those big franchise movies. It's almost like there's just this legion, this like obsession. Well, that it's people like too have. big like, to gotta... fail, sort of stuff. Yeah, or... and they don't seem to have that much of like even the Marvel fans. Like they'll go to all all these new movies but the last few even a lot of the marvel fans are like yeah this one sucked this one wasn't good um and and i think that something that hollywood it's in a weird way i think of it as uh barbenheimer is like a cult movie not that either of them are cult movies but it's like i don't think that like it just happened and the audience made barbenheimer i don't think that hollywood could try to program a new barbenheimer it's like it has to happen naturally with the audience you know what i'm saying yeah the next one is like yeah serial killer romantic comedy double feature or something like that yeah i mean it it did happen so organically i mean organic in an an online sort of way which i guess is what organic is now like it's been living on the internet for months before it actually happened and it delivered in such a such a big way and i haven't come across too many people that have seen either one that didn't like them um and two like, writer directors a... with like really strong, unique visions, and actors who were totally dedicated to the visions, and I think they both came out really, really well. I'm excited to start digging into them individually. Um, anything? Yeah, any last I was things? just going to mention. I was just going. I was saying like I, it's, I, I sometimes wonder if it's just like us film nerds, but it's broken through to like a, a more general public, but not everyone is aware. Like I was at a restaurant a few days after I saw the two movies and there were these two men, I almost certainly were a gay couple and they were both <laughs> wearing pink shirts. And I said, did you just see Barbie? And they went, no. And they're like, oh, <laughs> I, 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 just, I just, I was like, how could they not have gone? Uh, to see? No, and I they, think that was a fair we, assumption. <laughs> I know. And, and they said, we do want to see it though. So at least they were aware of the movie. Yeah. And we're excited for it. That's um, pretty fun. Well, yeah. any preference where we start to do our little Barbenheimer, Barbenheimer reaction? I, think we got to start barbie first because it's it's barbenheimer okay we got to start uh, with barbie right so we've said most of this but uh, it is barbie directed by greta gerwig previously directed Lady Bird and little women um so little women also sort of based on intellectual property but she played with it in a way that was unexpected that we should uh you know seen coming with barbie um the film follows barbie and ken on a journey of self-discovery following an existential crisis uh, it was originally premiered July 9th, uh, 2023, and was released wide, as we said, July 21st. A Metacritic score of 80 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 90. Um, I feel like we shouldn't spoil too much, maybe, about the ending of this. And this was something that was teased by a lot of the cast uh, coming into, you know, on their press tour. Um, but this really is sort of a Trojan horse of a movie that is about some things that you might not think a Barbie movie would be about. Um, I found it to be just an absolute delight. I think it's the best performance of Ryan Gosling's career uh, and probably the best performance of Margot Robbie's career. Um, 
And I could see this legitimately getting multiple Oscar nominations, which I didn't necessarily expect going into it. Um, I told you already, I Bar- Barbie is my favorite of the two. Barbie is probably my favorite movie of the year so far. Um, your reaction might not be quite as optimistic and like high as that, but uh, what, what did you think of Barbie, Jonathan? Oh, yeah. No, I definitely like Oppenheimer more. I thought it was a better film, but I thoroughly enjoyed Barbie. Um, I uh, I do agree that, that Margot Robbie is just perfectly cast. Ryan Gosling is perfectly cast. I got into an almost an argument with my mom because she said, yeah, I just didn't ever think of Ryan Gosling to play Ken. I'm like, he was born to play Ken. <laughs> like in the way that Shelley Duvall was born to play Olive Oil in Robert Altman's Popeye. It's like, I don't know about you, but like if uh, two years ago, you were going to say, okay, what actor would play Ken in a live action film? You'd go, oh, Ryan Gosling. That would be like my first choice. Like, wouldn't that be your answer? <laughs> oh, 100%. I mean, I mean, he's like, he was literally like a Mouseketeer, right? I mean, like he, right. he's Canadian. I mean, Ken should be Canadian. <laughs> I mean, he is perfect. Well, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so the movie, um, I went into it without ever having seen the the whole trailer. Oh, really? I saw the teaser trailer, so I kind of didn't really know what like the plot of the film pretty much at all. I kind of had the vague idea it was about like there's Barbie Land and there was a. Uh, I mean, I, I I like I said, I don't want to spoil too much about it, but it did remind me of some other movies. Uh, one because Will Ferrell's in it, especially it reminds me of Elf because yes. they're both these kind of fish out of water comedies where this fantastical creation is. Uh, put into the real world and acts very strange and people look at them in a strange way. Um, Another movie it reminded me of is the Brady Bunch movie from the Uh 90s, which uh, is actually a really funny movie because even though Barbie is still certainly being made today, a lot of the aesthetics and kind of costumes or jobs that the Barbie uh, or Ken's uh, partake in are kind of retro in a way. And there's something about it that reminded me of the Brady Bunch movie where it's like this relic of the past. Like some of the, you know, characters feel like Barbie is antiquated in her, you know, kind of gender roles. And so there's something of uh, of the Brady Bunch movie to me. Uh, But yeah, I I just, it's visually delightful. It's really clever. Um, My only criticisms really of the movie uh, is that I think it goes on a little too long. It's pushing two hours. I think some of the bits get a little repetitive towards the end. Uh, yeah. Some of the jokes, they kind of hit them a few times. Like the the dance dance off with the Kins, like that goes on a little too long. Uh, oh, that's my favorite scene. I really, really. <laughs> but yeah, but go, it, the, some of that stuff goes on too long, I think. It, yeah, it, but the you joke kind of wears thin. So does um, the, the scene in American in Paris that goes on forever. <laughs> Yeah, that's sort of what it's drawing on. It's meant to be sort of big, over-the-top MGM musical. I just loved how film literate this is. It starts with a reference to 2001 A Space Odyssey, and there's lots of... I mean, there's some more subtle than others, but, I mean, it's obvious they're... uh, Or she, I mean, it is Greta Gerwig, really, who is the vision behind this. It's sort of picking from Jacques Demy musicals and um, MGM musicals from the 50s and 60s and stuff like that. Um, She did a... people should uh watch there's a video both of her uh she had she selected 20 uh, 29 movies 
for letterbox that influenced the movie and then there's another video where she talks about some of the same ones but mm-hmm. for turner classic movies and she said she like had margot robbie watch the philadelphia story and uh carol lumbar movies for influence on her performance and like there's a part where ken has some sunglasses and it's the same sunglasses as the uh male character in the red shoes you know and oh lermontov uh, and like and when the I know. And when the uh, when Barbie goes up to the weird Barbie's house, it's like when in the red shoes, when she goes up the stairs, you know, it's it's there's all, you know, what the what that is references. And yeah. And one thing I like. Well, it's like the beauty and the beast. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 (laughs) Well, and I, I, I one thing I enjoyed about the movie is that there's actually a lot of it that's done old school like i even saw a headline that said we did this scene like it would have been done in 1910 like they did uh you know yes there's certainly cgi used in the film but a lot of it was done kind of like a if it was an mgm musical from the 40s or 50s or 60s and they built a huge huge set for barbie land as they call it i think outside of london um, so the world fe- feels very it's plastic so it's like deliberately unreal but despite that it's like tactile in a way that you know emphasizes the sort of illusion for the Barbies like to them this is the real world and, and everything works according to sort of Barbie logic it's um, so in that way it's it's meant to feel artificial but it's artificial in in a realistic way if that like actually makes any sense um, and uh, you know who shot the movie i i was i had forgotten i mean oh rodrigo prieto yeah who's generally yeah uh, who's scorsese's cinematographer right yeah he's i mean he has like killers of the flower moon and barbie coming out this year he shot the irishman and he's shot a number of really significant films he shot argo he shot um broken embraces by Amadovar. He shot Brokeback Mountain and Lust Caution yeah. for Ang Lee. He shot <laughs> Babel and Ameros Peros and 25th Hour. Yeah, it's just so kind of funny to me that he shot uh <laughs> you know Barbie. But well that's what you know, I mean, Greta Gerwig, it's, it's, I think, is really developing into like one of the best filmmakers operating today. And it was announced she's uh, gonna do the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I think for Netflix for her next movie. So she's obvious, and she did Little Women previously. So she's obviously interested in ad- either adapting or um, depicting stuff that already has sort of like a large place in culture. Um, so she can sort of be in dialogue with something that already exists or has impacted people's lives in different ways. Um, I just I like I know this movie's sort of been in production for a while. There's a lot of talk about like there was an Amy Schumer version, which apparently would have had maybe a different message in this one. And they like asked Amy Schumer what she thought about this one. She said she liked it, but it like wasn't the one that she was gonna make. Um that Greta Gerwig just Cody who wrote yeah, Juno had a had a screenplay for, for Barbie. Right. Um yeah, Diablo Cody at one point was involved. And this was Greta Gerwig and her husband, Noah Baumbach, who people would know from doing Marriage Story. He had uh, White Noise come out last year. And I don't think many people saw that, me included. Uh, but Greta Gerwig acts in that, right? So that actually. And she wrote. Yeah. Yeah. She, she I was going to say she's written two films that were directed by Baumbach and she starred in Francis Haw and Mistress America. Mm hmm. So and I she mean, she hasn't acted any of her three films that she's directed. 
Yes, although I, she said she was going to do like a Hitchcock type cameo in this one that she was going to do with Timothy Chalamet and Saoirse Ronan, who appeared in her previous two movies, but that their schedules didn't work out. So I'm interested to see what that would have been. Um, but yeah, I mean, she is just like ultimately the creative voice that, uh, you know, makes this movie work. And um, I think maybe Margot Robbie was attached as a producer and in some ways sort of like picked Greta Gerwig out. Um, I think is sort of uh, the at least the story that's been presented to me. Um, so in that way, also like well, credit to Margot Robbie for deciding to take a punt on Greta Gerwig, who had just done uh, like small movie Lady Bird and then Little Women, which was I think critically well received and maybe uh, made profit at the box office. I I don't know that off the top of my head, but wasn't like a huge huge movie. So um, credit I mean credit to everybody. Um, you were gonna say something. Well, I was going to say that Greta Gerwig was hired to write the film, but was not necessarily going to direct it yeah. at first. That was the thing. And so her, uh, she and Noah wrote the screenplay. And what I like about the movie, I mean, the movie is not like insanely like transgressive and subversive, but it is for a, for a Barbie based movie. on a, yeah, for <laughs> a Barbie movie from a giant corporation. Like it is, it is without question, Un film de Greta Gerwig. I mean, it is a Greta Gerwig film, like through and through. And I, I, I feel like if she didn't have one hundred percent director's cut, like she pretty much was able to make the film she wanted to. Uh, yes. mostly, I would say. Yes, I mean it definitely associates idea with ideas with Barbie that I don't think necessarily a boardroom would be super keen. Like, like you said, it's not like the most subversive movie ever. Like, it's not like. But then it wouldn't be like the hit that it is. So it's it plays a very fine line of, you know, introducing audience members to maybe ideas or associations they wouldn't necessarily make with Barbie, um, but also is like a crowd pleaser. And, um, you know, I don't want to spoil anything, but it has well, a happy well, ending. It, it reminds basically me, everyone. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, it kind of reminds me of John Waters talking about his most subversive movie actually being his original hairspray because it was a PG rated movie that encouraged people, you know, to uh, white people to date black guys and to, you know, it's about a t to uh, men sing a love song to each other, you know, in the, uh -huh. in the remake, at least the musical, it's like, you know, sometimes it's like you have to not be quite so subversive because you get a bigger audience in, but in a way that is really subversive, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's a big ball, you know, budget Hollywood. It comedy. goes back to, I mean, it's we can't go into like the whole theory right now, but uh, in our time at NYU, in our film theory class, which I wasn't necessarily the biggest fan of, there was a big thing about a captive audience um, and sort of because people in a movie theater have like signed up for the experience and are in the dark in the seat. It takes like a lot to, you know, get up and leave. So people might sit and be shown something that they wouldn't normally be shown or see um and i think barbie takes advantage of that sort of captive audience in a, in a really interesting way um and uh, I, I, yeah it's it, to say a lot would be spoiling a bit but to say it, it is about more than you'd think a barbie movie is about i think says a lot and a lot of it is about maybe being a little more human than than uh being a fake plastic person um but yeah, I thought this was just great. I, I love that so many um, people also, are it. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I was going to say, I really don't want to go down. I, I really don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but there has been this whole right wing backlash, to which is madness. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like I like I would rather watch almost a snuff film than watch um, that right wing guy. He did like a 40 minute video where he reviewed the movie. Uh, what's his name? Is it Shapiro you know, or something the, like the that? Who, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, I can't imagine watching like 10 seconds of him. Talking What's people about like that? that? It's like, do you really um, believe what you're saying or are you just trying to stir people up? Because this is not like an anti-men sort of movie. I mean, it, it devotes a big part of its story to men sort of like accepting themselves and feeling like they don't need to be sort of judged by standards people think they should be judged by and if, i guess if that's anti-men then i'm not really interested in your idea of what like a man is um yeah it's, it's crazy it's really ridiculous and and i and i wonder how many of the people that are online like if you look at some of the like uh you know uh ratings of the regular people not the critics it's it's quite low but yeah i, I was looking at the audience score the yeah yeah exactly it's like that's one of the downsides of sort of internet culture is just how, you know, quickly people can express their opinions that shouldn't be, you know, should oh, basically well, be ignored. And... Yeah, I mean, <laughs> in, in yeah. a minute, in a minute, we'll get to Nolan, but like, there's like a film critic that gave a negative review to one of the Dark Knight films, and she got death threats and said you should get raped, c-word, stuff yeah. like that. From yeah. you know, that's really scary and gross. Yeah, it is, uh, and it's but, really yeah. it's sad to see sort of the negative. And you, you have to think most of the people um, who have these sort of opinions or negative reactions, I feel like one, either haven't seen it or two, went into it with a certain mindset that made it impossible to win them over. And they were only trying to see things that, that they wanted to see. Um, and that's really that's not good criticism. That's really bad criticism and, and damaging and unhealthy. And it's just awful to see that. And it's sort of a reaction. satire too. Yeah, exactly. It's like they, I think sometimes they don't get that it's a comedy that's <laughs> poking fun at things. And it's like, you know, it's not. Yeah. So yeah, yeah I, I didn't like it as much as you. It's not my top five of the year, uh, but I, I really enjoyed it. I recommend people go to see it with an audience. It's see, really good. And oh, it's, it's definitely a Greta Gerwig film. A lot of movies we review. Um, I can think of, especially some horror movies we did last year uh wouldn't necessarily recommend to every person but i mean this is just about a this movie's for everyone kind of movie i mean i can't think of too many oh, people yeah. i wouldn't recommend this to um of basically even like if all someone's ages. not like yeah and even if someone's not like some gross right-wing person like if a man is like oh, i don't know if i'd like barbie like if, if they went to it i think they would really enjoy it and think it was funny yeah as long as it gets you in the door i think it's going to win you over unless you've decided it can't and it's evil and it's wrong which you know i have no time for that sort of person to begin with so i would recommend this to basically everybody um so we will take a brief break and be back with uh the second half of barbenheimer christopher nolan's oppenheimer All right, we are back for the Heimer section of Barbenheimer. Uh, it is Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. Uh, Christopher Nolan previously directed Tenet, Dunkirk, Interstellar, and uh, some other movies you may know. Uh, starring Killian Murphy, who has worked with Christopher Nolan 
five or six times. I can't remember exactly which, but it's appeared in many of his movies. This is his first lead role in a Christopher Nolan movie after being on Peaky Blinders for some time. Uh, also starring Emily Blunt, Matt Damon, Robert Downey Jr., and <laughs> many, many other recognizable faces. Uh, the film chronicles the life of J. Robert Oppenheimer, an American theoretical physicist who was pivotal in developing the first nuclear weapons as part of the Manhattan Project during World War II. Uh, it originally premiered July 11th, 2023, and was released wide July 21st, uh, which will forever be henceforth known as Barbenheimer Day. Uh, a Metacritic score of 88 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 94. Uh, and the buildup to this movie's release, uh, the reactions were just like, like basically not many things I've seen before, including Paul Schrader, uh, the writer of Taxi Driver and a very accomplished director in his own right, saying that this was the most important movie of the century so far. Um, so needless best to say, and most important, <laughs> best and most important. So needless to say, very very high expectations for this movie. Um, you've mentioned a little bit about your reaction already, but uh, how how well, did me, for you, Jonathan? Well, <laughs> I just have to point out he also said that Barbie was great. Yeah, <laughs> he posted that recently on. So he liked both Bart Venheimer parts. Yeah. Um. So I went into this film interesting, like Paul Schrader. Um, he said, I'm no Nolan groupie. I don't have a great affinity. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't have a great affinity for Christopher Nolan. I really admire him. I really admire the fact that he shoots on film. I'm sure you appreciate his importance to to the world. Oh yeah. Big movies. And and I would rather important directors. I would rather watch his movies. Yeah. I would rather watch his movies than like, 90% of like the franchise movies that come out these days um I just and I really have liked some of his movies I mean weirdly before Oppenheimer I think this is kind of an unusual opinion but I think The Prestige was my favorite film of his I really like The Dark Knight it's one of the better comic book films of all time uh I like the Memento a lot but like I I think his worst film was his last one Tenet I really didn't like that one and that's probably uh, true yeah, and Interstellar is one that I admire greatly, the craft of the film, but I don't think it really works dramatically. And um, But yeah, Oppenheimer, I kind of went into with the expectations that, oh, you know, I usually like Nolan's films, you know, some of them I don't like, you know, uh, I'm going to go see it in IMAX 70 millimeter. Uh, yeah, I, I and I was really no pun intended blown away by the film i uh i i think it's an excellent movie i think it's one of the like three best films of the year i think it's probably nolan's best film at least for me um it's three hours right at 180 minutes and it's just completely compelling uh the entire running time it goes back and forth in time it goes between black and white and color uh it's like kind of a the way that I'm not saying it's as good as, uh, but it's a film I think it could be compared to as Lawrence of Arabia in the sense that it manages for quite a bit of its running time to be a rather intimate character study uh, where, you know, actually quite a bit of the film are people, you know, standing or sitting in a room talking science uh, and it's like emotionally resonant. It's an intelligent film. It's a thought provoking film. And it's also a big, dazzling, technically audacious 
just wondrous cinematic achievement on the highest technical level. And so I just, I mean, nobody I think could fault the film on like so many aspects, like it's acting, it's cinematography. The the, sound design is impeccable. I mean, it's, it's a masterful, right. Uh, I would say, of every movie that I've seen that's come out so far this year, at least it's absolutely to me, the number one film. If you go to see any movie in a theater and you should see it on the biggest screen, you can, it would without question be Oppenheimer. Yeah. I mean, uh, so much of the, I, I watched, I wouldn't say unhealthy, but far, far, you know, more online videos of like cast discussions and, Q and A's and stuff like that with the cast of Oppenheimer than I have for maybe any movie I can remember. So I admit I had watched like three or four hours of just actor interview content from Oppenheimer. So longer than the duration of the movie in the build up to this and something Robert Downey Jr. just kept harping on over and over again was how good Killian Murphy was in this movie and how even for like an actor of Robert Downey Jr.'s you know career and esteem and stuff like that that he was in all of the sort of sacrifice that Killian Murphy made to bring this performance to the screen and what he went through as a person um, emotionally and physically and just about all the sort of challenges an actor could do and came out the other side with like a, an all time great central performance. Um, So there was a lot of hype for, for Killian Murphy going into this. And I mean, for me, he's what makes the movie and holds the movie together and, it's not like you can't say like another actor couldn't have done it or something like that because you know we don't exist in those sort of alternate realities and he's the one who did it and i think it's an amazing achievement of acting i think surely he's the favorite to win best actor i think I mean, no one would have any qualms with that and he's he's never really been like a huge star um i was never a huge fan of peaky blinders i didn't watch every season but that seemed to be the sort of place where he became the sort of biggest part of the popular culture uh, other than the Nolan movies where he always plays supporting roles. But um, he is an outstanding actor. I mean, I think the first time I saw him is either 28 Days Later or The Wind That Shakes the Barley, a Ken Loach movie that came out in 2006 that I've always been a huge fan of. Um, won the Palm Door. Won the Palm Door. So to see like 20 years after 28 Days yeah. Later and, and that him lead a Christopher Nolan movie and give like one of the great acting performances I've ever seen. I, th- I thought he made the movie. I thought more than almost Nolan did. I mean, it's it's one of those things where who you know who gets the credit because Nolan visioned it. The whole you know look of everything is him, and the performance style obviously is influenced by the director. But such a great combo of director and actor, like you get with like a Raging Bull or something like that. Like, I think Oppenheimer should be held in in that sort of esteem. Uh, I think it's an incredible achievement. But you like Barbie even more? <laughs> yeah, I did. Because I think Barbie has such a strong, positive message that, and I, I so appreciate how many people are seeing Barbie that I think it really could. I don't want to. I, I'd really be going over the top and say like Barbie's going to change people's lives, but you know, maybe yeah, it will. No. No, I, well, 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 I mean, it's almost like um, because Greta Gerwig had done these two relatively small films. Uh, and to see what she pulled off with Barbie, I mean, obviously Oppenheimer is an immensely, Im- immensely uh, impressive feat. But it's like, but Nolan would be the one to do that. Like, it's yeah, exactly. Not, it, it's like, well, it's really yeah. impressive. Yeah, it's like it's it, it's impressive 
incredibly that he did it but it's like it, it kind of reminds me when uh ridley scott was like almost 80 years old and he was doing press for the martian and the interviewer was asking like how do you do a film with all these special effects and so many characters You're like oh no you just get the people together and you film it <laughs> it's just like there's there's almost like christopher nolan you like take someone like him for granted almost uh but I, I, I think one of the things that makes Oppenheimer so successful is that there's such a tactility to it. There's like, you really feel like he's blowing up shit. And he did. I mean, and I, I think that there's so much uh, drama in the film that comes from like shots of the human face. I mean, he yes. like actually got, uh, you know, Kodak or whatever to make new film stock so he can shoot black and white seven you know uh with imax cameras you know he's like changing you know the technology or getting yeah you, you design new technology fit his to, needs to fit his vision because it's so out there and unusual and so demanding right and and it's interesting a movie i've never actually seen but i really need to that i've heard people compare it to is oliver stone's jfk and there's actually uh, a video of killian murphy and nolan going in a French uh, video store. It's actually this really fun video series. Yeah, they I do watched it every that. <laughs> few weeks. They've had like, yeah, M. Night Shyamalan and uh, they had Brad Pitt. Uh, and uh, anyway, um, they have, uh, and they mentioned JFK and it's like, it's a three hour, in the case of JFK, three hour plus uh, film about uh, America in the uh, middle of the 20th century uh, they go between black and white and color. They're both technically dazzling, and they both have Gary Oldman playing a real American uh, <laughs> famous person uh, involved so, with the presidency um, in some fashion. <laughs> right, and and uh, but uh, Nolan himself said in the video, "I like to think though that my film is more historically accurate." <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, in some ways, uh, and in some moments of the movie, it's it feels a little didactic like a sort of wikipedia page brought to life where people are sort of saying you know lines of exposition to to reveal backstory and stuff like that but um it covers so much ground that you can forgive it for stuff like that that you know it's how much do, do audience members come into this really know about any of this so he actually has to tell the audience a lot without dumbing it down to the point of you know spoon feeding it to people so um, and i think that like i i, I... There's sometimes people say like, oh, people don't actually talk that way in real life or did this happen? It's like, it's a movie. Like it's supposed <laughs> to be, there's almost this, uh, you know, it, it, it's not as kind of trippy as something like Tenet or Interstellar gets, but there is this kind of uh, almost poetic quality. Like I, one critic oh, yeah. used the word, I think this is maybe, this, it's operatic. Like it's supposed to be like an impression like a very detailed and uh, historically accurate, but it's an impression of this man's life that goes yes. back and forth in time, black and white and color. And that, you know, it doesn't really bother me if there's scenes where it's like, maybe this didn't, you know, not even if it's historically accurate, but just like, there's a heightened quality to it. I think that's really masterfully done. And I don't really care if it's not necessarily, I mean, <laughs> I never felt like it was If it doesn't too, feel like maybe it's because I don't know <laughs> 
Well, I, I mean, I, I'm really dumb and I don't know science at all. So maybe to some people, it felt like it was preachy and it was people standing in the room explaining stuff. But it's like, well, I wouldn't have gotten it. Yeah, exactly. It. But I don't it's like think if they it, didn't tell me, I wouldn't yeah. know. So I, I kind of need it. And I always, um, I think, and I think that it always, uh, it always connects on a human level and that it's not just this like, I mean, I feel like with some of Nolan's movies, especially one like Tenet, I feel like so much of it is just based on kind of, sci-fi gobbledygook yeah you know and there's kind of a coldness there's kind of a technical bravado but just kind of this distance but Oppenheimer I think not since really almost like a maybe memento have I felt like an emotional attachment to the characters like I, I I've admired a lot of his movies but I've never really felt kind of emotionally engaged in most of them and this one I would say more than any of his films actually works as drama not just spectacle oh yeah and it's got some of the best acting performances of, of like Florence Pugh is outstanding um Casey and Affleck it reminds you Robert Downey Jr. can be, yeah yeah can exactly <laughs> exactly right um but another one of the things that they kept harping up on uh the actors and all these cast interviews I watched um, was about how the script was in the first person and how unusual that was. And I was curious to see how that was going to come across in the final product. Um, but the sort of scenes meant to depict uh, Oppenheimer's subjectivity and his pretty unique and sometimes very terrifying view of the world and uh, his intense sense of responsibility and um, anxiety about uh, some of the situations he was put in. Um, I thought were really good. And those were my favorite parts of the movie where um, it is a sort of heightened reality because it's not really happening. Yeah. It's just happening in his head. And so stuff is maybe out of focus or stuff is like moving or vibrating in a way to create a sense of anxiety or a heightened experience of the world. And those were my favorite parts of the movies when they really put us in his head. Yeah. Like yeah, I was saying, the speech where he's imagining the speech where he's imagining if a bomb was going off. Yes. And there's like the and it's his daughter that he casts, the woman who has the oh, really? like her skin is coming off. Yeah, it's almost Lynchian in that part to me. It is. I mean, yeah. uh one that I guess could be like an interesting double feature is that episode of uh Twin Peaks. What is it, seven episode or eight? Eight. Eight, 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 yeah, yeah. which is the most unusual experience of media i've ever had where it sent what's the first 20 minutes is just zooming in on a bomb going off basically <laughs> well it's like <laughs> it's like five minutes of plot nine inch nails performs and then it's basically like 45 minutes of experimental film like eraser head yeah where it just sort of keeps zooming in into the center of this nuclear explosion i don't want to spoil twin peaks but it's like you know evil is created and evil is created for yeah. that situation that's that's kind of similar to oppenheimer I, <laughs> like i really wonder uh i want I, I know nolan is a huge kubrick fan and he you know you can't not think somewhat of 2001 in parts of this movie and also in a weird way dr strange love like he actually yeah. said like the war room was kind of an, in his head when they were designing some of the the rooms but uh i i do think it's funny that i i wonder if he's seen twin peaks the return especially episode eight i wonder if he's ever seen that but, um, uh, i mean it I surely would have come up during all of his sort of research on depictions of of nuclear the nuclear world and stuff like that um I guess Paul Schrader, I was 
uh, the whole like most important so movie I was of the century. Really thing. surprised he yeah. said like I guess yeah, I was surprised people of a certain that. age you they sort of lived in the nuclear world to a little more of an extent than we did, um, and lived with the sort of day to day reality of it. And you know we obviously we still do live in like a nuclear world where the threat of like a world ending destruction is possible at any moment. But it's felt distant maybe in a way during our lifetimes that it didn't for people like him um who really grew up with well, like bomb raids and stuff <laughs> like that you i go. saw uh <laughs> nolan i mean this might have been partially because of the the uh actor strike nolan was on the view which was kind of funny seeing him <laughs> sitting at the table on the view that but, was uh, joey behar started the segment talking about how she you know she grew up with a duck and cover and yeah. that it's still like haunts her to this day and she's about the same age as paul schrader you know she's in her 70s and so it's like there's a you know and, and nolan said he actually first heard oppenheimer from the sting song uh where they reference oppenheimer and that it, even in his generation when he was growing up in the 80s uh he had this kind of sense that you know this could all be destroyed in an instant because of nuclear war the kind of thatcher era england but yeah i yeah, I mean, I, I like I said, I'm not the biggest Nolan fan, even though I do really respect him. And I like more of his films overall than I dislike. But uh, I think, that would you, what would you say are your like top three right now? How would you rank your Nolan favorites? Uh, I mean, I feel like the first time I've, more almost than any other director, because I feel for so many repeat viewings reward the viewer in a way that I, is almost opposite for Christopher Nolan movies, where the first time you see them, it really is almost like a like transcendent, mind-blowing sort of experience, and returning to them isn't necessarily as rich. So I, like as a pretty young person, seeing Memento for the first time really blew my mind in a way that not many movies have. So, um, And I've seen it since, and I really, really like it, but it's just not the, sort of the same thing. Um, and then the prestige had a similar sort of effect at the time I saw it. It must have been like 14 or 15. So that would be pretty high. And then the Dark Knight, you know, I was 13 or I think I guess 15, 16. Yeah. When that came out and that was like one of the most fun theater experiences I've ever had. So probably those three, but sort of like objectively, I think Dunkirk might be his best movie. Um, and as someone who's never seen the original Insomnia, uh, I haven't been like spoiled by it being a remake. I actually really, really like Insomnia. Um, but this, I mean, Nolan is one of the few big movie directors that you could call an auteur. And all of his movies are very much products of, you know, his concerns and things that he thinks are important. And in a lot of ways, this is, a, I wouldn't say a culmination, but reflective of, all of the sort of stuff he's been curious about in his career, whether it be physics or, you know, a troubled person who sees the world differently than everybody else. And, you know, has a hard time negotiating reality because of that, because their experience of the world is different. Um, I, I think it's just like a crowning achievement for him. I wouldn't be surprised if this was like the movie that got him best director or something like that. Obviously we have a lot of big movies coming out the rest of the year, like uh, killers of the flower moon by Scorsese. We have a new, Michael Mann movie we have a new David Fincher movie so um you know who knows what's going to happen as far as Oscars are concerned I it shouldn't seems, even really be talking about it but <laughs> yeah it, it seems an almost certainty that Killers of the Fire Moon 
and Oppenheimer will both get nominations for Best Picture, Director, Lead Actor, Leonardo DiCaprio and Killian Murphy. Yeah. Um, but uh, I not so sure Greta Gerwig will get nominated for Best Director. I love uh, it. One thing I one thing that was funny though is they're questioning will it be nominated for adapted screenplay or original because it's like an incredibly original screenplay but technically it's like based on previous material but like yeah. it's not like written or like visual source it's just like a, a doll you know yeah, for barbie it adapted yeah i mean yeah. it's it's, a, it's an adaptation of all those animated direct video barbie movies I, mean, <laughs> I don't know i mean oppenheimer is an adaptation this surely is i guess right. aside from comic books which are technically adaptations is this the first adaptation of his career besides, I guess, a remake is an adaptation? Um, yeah, well, yeah, well, so Insomnia, three Dark Knight films, so like half of his movies are. <laughs> but this know, is like a adaptation. book. And like a very specific book, American for me. Yeah. That's a Pulitzer Prize winning biography. Yeah, yeah nonfiction. Um, right. That I had listened to one of my favorite podcast series is a history series called The Rest is History, and they did a two part series on Oppenheimer and it was amazing to see how much overlap there was in the podcast and the movie I mean obviously they're different mediums and we experienced them differently and they depict different things but a lot of the biographical information like I had already gotten from that so it was it was kind of funny to see how you know one can narrativize and and portray it visually uh, and how different it can sort of become um, for some of the straws uh I mean, I guess we can start talking a little bit about some of the specific performances. Uh, I mean, like you said before, Downey Jr., this is probably the best he's been since, uh, I don't know, Zodiac, maybe something like that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's I, like, I where mean, have I, you been for the, the last pre- 15 years? <laughs> I mean, I, I literally don't I don't think I've seen him in a movie since Iron Man 2. Mm-hmm. Except yeah. by technicality, I actually saw him in person at a screening of the documentary senior which was about his father so you've seen him in person more recently than seen him on screen (laughs) well i saw him in the documentary but besides i haven't seen him in a narrative film he had a small part in chef which john favreau also directed but like i haven't seen him in a non like i haven't you know i didn't see Doolittle. let's say that (laughs) you know uh so to uh, say it's a revelation I, i mean we know what robert downey jr is but he hasn't played a character like this in a very long time and someone who's not the hero and um someone who doesn't save the day and uh it's a really nuance it's a really really good performance and like so many people in really small roles like alden ehrenreich um who was really good in hail caesar and some other stuff uh is like an aide who's unnamed um i know he's like he was like he's the new han solo and then he hasn't done anything in five years <laughs> yeah exactly so. josh hartnett yeah. Uh, who's sort of been popping up in some movies recently is like the fifth lead in this and is really really good um but florence Pugh, is reliable yeah exactly i think florence Pugh is like the standout of the uh um sort of briefer roles she plays the love interest who complicates oppenheimer's life in certain ways and i think in interviews she said she really enjoys like playing troubled women and this is very much a continuation of that uh theme of her career um any any other standout? I mean, Benny Safdie, we, we talked about in Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret. It's just in everything now. Uh, doesn't yeah, accent for this one. <laughs> I know. I, I In a weird way, he kind of reminds me of like a Sidney Pollock where like, yes, he's the director, but it's like you almost take him for granted as an actor because it's like, oh, yeah, like he'll show up in movies as an actor sometimes, uh, even though he's kind of primarily 
people think of him as but a director. Big but directors. I mean, Paul Thomas Anderson and Christopher Nolan now have cast him. Claire in, Denis. Claire, yeah. yeah, some pretty yeah. big roles in their movies. It's amazing. I well, think... no, it, it, yeah, pr- it, it, a lot of times it's it's smaller roles, but it's still but like impactful. He's worked with so many. Yeah. Cool. Right. I mean, he, yeah. the, his role yeah. in and, Liquor's um, Pizza is a pretty big hinge point and a pretty nuanced performance with a very complicated person. So. Um, right yeah i um yeah this to me i mean it's hard to you know compare movies but like to me the i think my three favorite nolans now are oppenheimer the prestige and mm, i mean maybe like on it you know i would say dunkirk but maybe memento you know i it's like dunkirk's a movie i respect so much but i don't know how much i really like it like oh i'm crazy about this movie but i, I think it's an incredible achievement memento i think but the thing is i don't think i've ever seen any of his movies more than once oh really yeah I i've mean, seen all of them one time <laughs> that's sort of how they're meant to be consumed ultimately i think because um such a big mean? part of it is the structure of it and the novelty of experiencing a movie in that structure like it wouldn't be a spoiler to say that this movie operates on different timelines because we almost expect that from nolan at this point so in a lot of ways it's something that can't be experienced multiple times like it is the first time where you don't really know how he's going to be working with time that was something in dunkirk the first time i saw it um i was really impressed by how it operates on three different timelines that represent time unfolding in three different durations but within the same movie and we get a little bit of that with this, not quite the same like specific, like this is a day, that's an hour, this is a week um, sort of thing. This plays a little more loose with that. Um, but we are operating think- on different timelines and different sort of uh, living within different sort of temporal realities. I mean, it's obvious like the way people experience time is something he's very concerned with and he enjoys cinema as a medium that exists within time he was very insistent that this would be a three-hour movie like exactly like that's not coincidental um so well, and that it's going to be like it, it isn't going to be in every every imax theater that's playing it is going to play it for three weeks and like most movies don't get three full weeks oh really in an imax yeah Oh, wow. And he has and he has like a very like lengthy time before it will get on any streaming or home video yeah that's another big thing that when he went over to universal but i was gonna say i think a lot of his movies bear repeated viewings it's not say they don't bear it's not say they don't bear repeated viewings but um it's like it's the thing itself it's like the experience itself i think is so important for his movies in a way that that it isn't maybe for some other filmmakers. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's hard for me to necessarily express what I'm trying to say about, but I think the way he presents his movies and how he plays with time, that um, it almost is like experiencing something in life. Like, you know, there's nothing like the first time um, that I think is true to his movies in a way that isn't necessarily true to others. Um, I don't know if I expressed my point very clearly at all right there, but... <laughs> <laughs> that's sort of the idea that i'm that uh that i'm meant to be expressing um i mean any other standout acting performances yeah, there's just so, like a, a ton of people rimey malik comes in for like one scene and well he's not in one scene he's sort of in the background a lot that i was curious to see how they were going to bring him back um yeah anyone else well it's uh it's it's one of those films where it's like you have 
Gary Oldman and Kenneth Branagh, like these big, you know, big name actors. And then you have like this whole barrage of like younger actors like Josh Peck and Alex Wolf and Jack Wade, uh, Alden Ehrenrich. I know there's like all these, it's like these, you know, there's like five Oscar winners and three nominees, something like that in the movie. Um, and it's like uh, some of the biggest name actors or the Oscar winners are like, you know, like Casey Fairland. Affleck has yeah. like maybe minutes in a three-hour movie yeah but uh sometimes what's in even though i haven't seen this movie that's another thing i would say i've heard people compare it to stones jfk is that that has an insane cast and yes you know people pop up in that one yes um but yeah i i i thoroughly enjoyed this movie um as one of my favorite of the year i recommend i mean like are the knuckle draggers who like see eight comic book films a year gonna even they probably would be entertained by this movie because shit blows up and it's like exciting but i mean you'd have to really be kind of not interested in cinema to not be kind of involved and and excited and yeah this movie, or at least interested in seeing it i mean the the one i mean the three hours did test me a little bit and maybe it was because i had you know already seen one movie beforehand but um sort of once the That's trinity the movie's test... fault i know <laughs> once the trinity test was conducted there's there's a good bit after that that's more concerned with the sort of fallout from it and um how his life is maybe turned over in in some ways that he didn't necessarily deserve um and i wouldn't say it tested my patience or I was waiting for it to end. It wasn't something as extreme as that, but I noticed the length of the movie more than I had before that point, um, sort of during the final bit of it. Um, I remember uh, <laughs> there was an Onion article about like viewer looks to see how much longer the movie is and can't believe there's over 45 <laughs> minutes left. You know, it's something like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I I loved it. I think most adults should see this and, and would respond to it emotionally i mean it has one of the more haunting final shots of uh of any big budget imax movie i've ever seen um so in some ways it is subversive i think uh maybe in what yeah i was gonna say an ending uh in in conclusion we can say like are there connections between barbie and oppenheimer yeah i mean both are really uh, they depict a subjective experience of the world and and people sort of negotiating different realities and you know new worlds are i wouldn't say necessarily discovered but opened up uh you know a lot of people say when the bomb went off we we lived in a different world than we did before and it created a portal to almost a different sort of reality um i mean to, centered around really excellent lead performances um or about the the subjective uh, experience human beings have with interacting with the world and reality and time itself. Um, so I, I think they both deal with pretty big themes. And um, the fact that they're resonating with audience also, members and people are seeing it, I, I'm really excited by it. It's, it's one of those times where you're like, yeah, movies are great. And movies have a purpose in society. And it's great that a movie can, you know, serve a commercial purpose because ultimately that's what movies are for is essentially to make money. But you can do that and also treat audience members with respect and and show them things that, uh, you know, show a different way of thinking or a different world that they hadn't necessarily thought about before. And and that's really where movies have a power that's different than than tell. And movies 
not in your home where where as an audience member you have control and can turn something off and if you don't like something you can just be like i'm done with it um and that's sort of the power of a movie you know like a live musical performance where you give yourself over to the the thing that's unfolding in front of you and um this was just a great great week for movies and i don't see there being a huge drop-off to be honest uh this upcoming weekend i think a lot of people are going to see both of them so i wouldn't be surprised if both of these were billion dollar movies and if a three-hour biopic of the guy who created the atomic bomb uh is a billion dollar movie i mean that's like the achievement of all achievements for christopher nolan um so that's that's most i would say you want to wrap us up jonathan (laughs) well i was just gonna say there really aren't any big kind of blockbusters like this for the rest of of the summer uh i mean really it's kind of just wait until like the big oscar contenders like killers of the flower moon come out like looking at the you know the fall festivals but you know like killers um, yeah that might even be pushed to next year they've heard oh, really? but uh but yeah it, it, there's kind of yeah kind of because i mean the others in day of film uh challengers is going to premiere uh venice and that officially has been pushed completely till next year um poor things the yorgos lanthimos movie of emma stone is uh been pushed to december when it was going to come out in september i think it's coming out in december now so yeah uh, go see these movies they're probably going to both play in most theaters for like two three months at least yeah. um, <laughs> maybe until christmas but, i mean we'll see but but certainly go see oppenheimer before it leaves imax oh yeah 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 this is definitely meant to be seen on the biggest screen with the loudest sound system that you can possibly imagine um i mean he's trying to make people go deaf with this movie um I had a, I'll just say, I had a former student, uh, and she was saying that she's going to wear pink to Barbie and go into the bathroom and change into business attire to go see Oppenheimer. (laughs) Put on a hat. (laughs) Right. All right. Well, thank you for listening. I hope everybody sees both movies. I mean, they really are, you know, if if you're interested in most things adults should be interested in, you should see both movies, even though Barbie might sound like it's for kids or for you know, girls or something like that. Oppenheimer, oh, that's boring. It's stupid. They're both really, really good. You should give them a chance. Um, So thank you for listening. We will be back next time.